Naked with Adele is about your inner journey, trusting yourself and sharing many lessons. Come on, hold my hand Not sure I understand This role I've been given But I wish someone had to talk to me Like I want to talk to you Naked with Adele is about getting real It's about being able to look at yourself in the mirror and being able to love that person that you see. It's about having the courage to be vulnerable. Welcome to Naked with Adele, where we interview experts who are leading powerfully in their feminine. Today, I have a female on the show who's the Chief Operations Officer at a very large South African concern with more than 2,500 employees. This is going to be a challenge for all of us who think that we have to leave the corporate world in order to make a difference in a feminine leadership style. I'm excited to introduce you to Margaret Hirsch. Margaret has received many awards for women empowerment, making an influential difference in the female world of entrepreneurship and her business success story started with only a 900 rand investment that now generates over a billion rand in sales, for which she's the co-founder with her husband, Alan. Margaret was born in Zimbabwe. She lost her dad to cancer at a very early age, was in an orphanage and then continued with no education, a vivacious personality and a positive attitude to create an empire. What Margaret is less known for is the nitty-gritty that it takes to make a sustainable difference for women. And that was what inspired me to interview her. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I was fortunate to learn about your Girls with Dignity project. Mm. And that was what inspired me to interview you today. So I'm very curious to learn more about you. How on earth you find the time in this busy schedule of yours where you do so much already to do things that makes a difference to ordinary people. Tell us about the project. In 2012, I won as Businesswoman of South Africa Entrepreneur Division. So in 2011, I won South Africa's Most Influential Woman in Business, and I won it, and I didn't do anything in that year. So in 2012, when I won Businesswoman of South Africa, I thought, I've got to do something with this year. And the only other people I'd known who'd ever won anything was Miss South Africa, and she always had to have a project for the year. So I thought, what's my project going to be? And I looked around, and I run various schools, and I run the School for the Blind, and I run various different things, but there was nothing that really stood out. And then I went to a talk, and um, it was with businesswomen South Africa, and they told me that in South Africa there are 9 million schoolgirls aged between 9 and 18, of which only 40% go to school for four weeks of the month. 60% can only go for three weeks of the month because they've got no sanitary protection. And people wanted to give them disposable sanitary pads, but they couldn't use them because they have nowhere to dispose of them. Because if you live in a township, there's no rubbish collection. So people could... There was, you couldn't, they used to go out and dig a hole to bury them and the dogs would dig them up in the night. It was so embarrassing and everybody would laugh and tease them. So they were in this really difficult position and also they didn't have money. When you're in a very impoverished community and you don't have money for food, your people are not going to give you money to go out and buy sanitary pads. So they just didn't have anything. So they used to use bark and rub the, the toilet paper out of the public toilets and all sorts of things so they could get to school. And often it ended up they would have the most terrible infection and it was, it was awful. 
So um, I, through Business Women South Africa, I met um, a lady who told me about the Girls with Dignity program. And it was, I mean, I was over 60 then and I thought I knew everything. And I couldn't believe that this problem had been happening in my country all this time and I didn't know about it. So I started to investigate and I met Sue Barnes and Sue, Sue was working for a big clothing company at the time but in her sideline she has two daughters. She started making reusable sanitary pads because it made sense because if you can't dispose of them, you have to have them, you can reuse them. So she, got, she researched it to the nth degree and Sue, I'd like you to interview her because she's fantastic and she will tell you how she went about it and they're biodegradable and they everything. They're very soft on one side, they've got a special fibre inside which absorbs the blood. They're plastic coated on the outside so they won't leak. They clip into the panties and we give them to the girls with the panties that they clip onto. And we take them into the schools and now the, the pack that we give them is three, three sanitary pads. One on, one off, one in the wash. We give them plastic bags to put the used ones in. We give them the panties which if they're going to do sport they, they don't fall out. But at night obviously they can just put them into the ordinary panties and they last for five years. So we give them in the old-fashioned standard six, which is now grade eight, and it lasts to the old-fashioned matric, which is now grade 12. So it lasts them their whole high school life. And we started doing that, but then we realized, and people told us that, Margaret, you are out of date. Girls are getting their periods much before that. In fact, from nine years old. So now we started going to the junior schools. Because also, when I went into one particular school in Tembisa, I found that in standard six, which is grade eight, the girls aged between 13 and 15, uh, they're allowed to bring their babies to school with them while they're still breastfeeding. So in that class, in the particular class I was talking in, were four girls with their babies on their back because they were still breastfeeding them. These girls didn't know where these babies came from. How big were the classes? There were about 42 girls in okay. the class. The girls didn't know where these babies came from, how they happened, what happened, but they just knew they were having a baby. They had the baby. They had no facilities to keep it going. They had no food to give it, which is why they're breastfeeding it, and they could bring it to school. So I realized that, that there was more to it than, than just the sanitary pads, that they actually didn't know how their bodies worked. And it really hit home when I went to speak to um, a whole lot of uh, poor white people staying in a little gathering, a, a little squatter camp outside, and they asked me to come and talk to the girls there because they were all getting pregnant. And I went to speak to the girls, and the mothers stayed there. Now, the mothers were quite young. They were sort of late 30s. And they said to me that they didn't know how their bodies worked. So that's when I got my apron, which I'll send you a picture of, and oh, I wow. drew my ovaries and my uterus onto the apron. I explained to them how their bodies worked, because, and it was an absolute mystery to them. They had no clue, because nobody ever told them. And I showed them how their bodies worked and how... That what they should do and how the sanitary pads worked and from then we got them going and then so I go into schools, junior schools, high schools and into only women's groups, all that type of thing and I explain to them one, how their bodies work and two, how the sanitary pads work. So basically how it works is you, you wear it when you get your period and when it's full and it will take up to 30 mils of liquid which for a girl is quite a lot. So they would need to at most change at lunchtime, it would last them through to the night. They rinse them out under a cold tap. The cold tap washes all the blood out of the special fabric. They just wash it like a pair of panties to keep it clean, hang it up overnight, it's dry and they can wear them the next day. How many people have you helped like Oh, this? thousands, thousands. I've done thousands and Sue Barnes has done thousands as well. We, you know, I honestly haven't kept count. But I try and go into school at least once a month, sometimes I do once a week. But lately I've been really busy at my work, so then I haven't been going out so much. But um, through, through Business Women South Africa, I did 265 talks in 365 days of my reign from 2012 to 2013. So um, I did a lot then. 
Um, I did in at, in December. I bought another hundred thousand rands worth of them, and I've been giving those out. So yeah, it just depends. When I mean, people ask me to come into schools, I don't go and solicit anything. If they ask me to come to schools and talk to the girls. I go, and if they don't, I don't. I went to my old own school, which was um, Russell Girls High in Peter Marysburg, where I matriculated in 1967, and I went back there and I spoke to the girls and I gave them all the panty packs. I did find a lot of the time, especially in the poorer schools, the girls would sell the panty packs okay to buy food drink drugs whatever so now what I do is I go into the schools and I ask them to write me an essay and the essay is I'm 90 years old sitting on my front porch looking back <laughs> on my life That's awesome. and this is what I did because you know Stephen Covey always says start with the end in mind so I'm 90 years old looking back on my life this is what happened when I was 80 70 60 50 40 30 and it goes right down to and it all started the day Mrs. Hirsch spoke at my school and that's the essay that they have to write because basically what they do without knowing it is they plan their life. How do they want their life to go? And they always plan it exactly how they want it to go. And uh, then I, when they give me the essays, I explain to them that that is exactly what's going to happen in their life because that's what they planned. And as they set their goals, you know, I'm going to pass my matric, I'm going to study, I'm going to become or whatever they're going to become, I'm going to go and work, I'm going to earn money, I'm going to get a husband, I'm going to have children. And they do this whole thing right up until they're old. So they now have set all the steps. All they've got to do and I give them the essays back and I say now all you've got to do is keep this essay with you forever and follow these steps and you'll get to exactly where you want to be because as they say in Alice in Wonderland if you don't know what road you're taking it doesn't matter which road you're going, which you're going to go and that's what most people do they go into life and they don't know which road they're going to take so they just go blindly so now at least if they've got their roadmap of their life, how they want it to be, they follow that so they give me that essay and in exchange for that essay I give them a panty pack and then they can know that they can go to school because the girls were telling me first of all the most important thing is um, in, especially in co-ed schools the girls who only come to school for three weeks a month were, were averaging between 40 and 60 percent aggregate where the boys were averaging between 60 and 80 percent because they were just there all the time they could write all the exams so the girls the message being sent to the girls was they were more stupid than the boys and they started to believe it because it was very obvious on the marks because they weren't writing the exams as one girl said to me she said I could be the cleverest girl in this class. So the girls don't go to school because they have their periods? Yes, they go, they don't have, they've got their periods. They can't go because they're going to drip all over the show and it's so embarrassing, so they'd rather stay at home. So, um, so they would not go to school. They would not know what had been taught. They would not be able to write the exams, more importantly. I mean, I had girls, when I had my shop at Amlazi Mega City, and when the matric exams were on, those toilets, we couldn't keep the toilet paper in there enough because mm -hmm. as fast as we put it in, those girls would come and pinch it yes. because they'd have to put it in their underwear when they're sitting writing exams for three hours. How on earth do you manage to sit for three hours with yes. your period and write an exam if, you, if you haven't got sanitary pads? Yeah, and be self-conscious about it. And conscious. I mean, a lot of the schoolgirls have, have white uniforms. I mean, how bad is that? They're poor things, you know, and they get teased and oh, it was awful. So, did you, do you get new feedback from the improved yes. results? I do. They don't give it to me and I have to tell you sure. this, you have to go and find it. So, I go into the schools and I say, these are the girls we monitored, these are the classes we gave to you, can you show me their marks? And without exception, their marks have improved, without exception. When we first started doing it, I monitored a little girl in Mitchell's Plain and she went from a 43% aggregate right up to 80 82% aggregate within six months because she could write the exam. She was a clever child, but she was never going to go and embarrass herself by, by going when she had her period. So she just never. So went. you absolutely know that you guys are making a difference. Oh, so it's not just stuff that you're giving out. No, you're no, making no. sure that they use them, they know how, to, they use know them, how to use them. And in the process, so much more, they're really getting educated mm. with stuff that the mothers cannot teach them. Absolutely.
Yeah. That's yeah. fabulous. So yeah. Margaret, why do you do it? Why don't you, you can afford to send somebody else to go and do the talks. Why do you do it for yourself? Um, I do them all myself because um, I enjoy doing the talks. And I think it's it's uh, much more credible because saying that I come out of, of a foster home in Loop Street, Peter Maritzburg. Um, I married my husband. He was 24 when I married him. He could not read or write. He'd been through the whole school um, education system and when he was 18 and standard 7 and he'd failed standard 7 for the third time his father said to me you're obviously never going to get your matric you can't, I can't keep you in school forever so you better go and find a job where you can work with your hands and that's why he became a refrigeration technician because he thought he had no brains and when I met him I realized that he did have brains and he was a clever person but in the school situation he'd been labeled educably mentally retarded they thought he was just never going to cope so I realised he was a very clever person and he could think very laterally because he was a severe dyslexic, which we discovered then, and um, he could think laterally, so he would always find solutions to problems, and that was in his job, how well he did. Today he's one of the most sought-after men in South Africa because he goes with all the guys with their MBAs and their PhDs, he goes and he sources the product overseas with all the major retailers, and he goes and all the major suppliers, and he goes and he will go to Germany and he'll tell them what washing machines to bring in, he'll go to Korea and tell because them what TVs to bring in. Because he has a different perspective and he looks completely knows. differently. Yeah. And also because his brain had to work differently. He can walk into our warehouse, which anyone will have over 200 million rands worth of stock, and he will um, tell you within a few rands how much stock is in that warehouse just by looking at it. So everybody has a gift. And not everybody's gift is explained to them when they're born. And not everybody's gift comes out at school. At school, they look for the people who have the gifts that fit into the blocks. Whereas in real life, the, the gifts are, are completely different and they're yes. not in any blocks. So, yes. yeah. So I met my husband and um, with him, when we started, I say to them, you know, and they know the story. And because a lot of people have been around for a long time, they know us. They knew our little store, and I show them pictures of our little store where we started, it was as big as your toilet. And when I started with the microwave cooking, I used to have to put all the appliances on the pavement so that I could let the people come into the shop. And, and people used to see the appliances on the pavement, so it's very real to them. I could get other people to go and explain it, but I think when I do it, it's very real to them, and they can see it. What does that mean when you say it's very real to them? Because well, you, you obviously have personal strengths of your own. Yeah, but you see, if, if, if I send somebody else to tell them the story, um, they watch so much television, and there's so much on television they know is just rubbish. So if somebody comes and tells them a story, well, yes, that's a very good story. So it's the but, credibility. But there's no credibility, know. but they know with me, I've actually done it. And then I say to them, I said, this year, I will turn over, by February 2016, I will turn over 2 billion rand in my business, which means I earn between 150 and 200 million rand a month. Now, that, um, you know, a lot of them can't even conceptualize that kind of thing. Sure. I couldn't either. You know, when we started, we started with our 900 rand, and people think that's a little, but what they don't know is that we went and we worked really, really hard, and we built our business up for 10 years. In 1988, we were doing exceptionally well. We had 2 million rand in the bank from nothing. We had bought ourselves a home, we bought new cars, we had everything that we wanted, we'd taken our children overseas, and we thought, how do we get our business to the next level? And people said, you need a good middle management. This is what you haven't got. You've got Alan and yourself and all the wickers at the bottom. You need a good middle management. So we thought, well, how do we do this? And we thought, well, we've got the money, let's buy it. So we found a company very similar to ours, and Peter Maritzburg, and it was a man who was going to retire and he wanted to sell his business and he, and he was going to, you know, we were going to take it over. And we asked him how much he wanted for it and he said two million rand. And I said to Alan, isn't that amazing? We've got two million, he wants two million, it must be meant to happen. 
So um, on the day that, and I looked at all the books and everything was very nice, and I, on the day I handed over my two million rand and I signed the form, he had shown he'd paid all his creditors, but he'd held back three million rands worth of checks. So as soon as I signed, he released the three million rands worth of checks. So he took my two million, released three million. So I lost five million in one afternoon. Mm -hmm. Now in 1988, that was a lot of money. I have to tell you, a lot. And there was no way back. There was no way out. He had he plugged all the holes, and I was naive, and I believed him. And so when people say you started with 900 rand, I said no. But 10 years later, I started minus three million, yes, and I so had to make that money back. That's why you say you've back been again. through yeah the school of hard knocks. That's so right. what what I want to know is what what is the personal strengths that you have that helps you to deal with that kind of adversity when it happens? I think it's just resilience, you know, you've just got to be resilient, you've got to be able to bounce back. Um, you know, a lot of people, when, when life hits them down, they stay down, it's, you know, um, as Les Brown says, if you can look up, you can get up, and as soon as you get up, you know you've got to keep going forward. A lot of people have people to fall back on, but ours was a cross-cultural marriage, so we had didn't have parents to fall back on, because our parents were both against the marriage. So, so yeah, you could just go work hard? We just had to go out and do it. We didn't have, we had no way backwards, we could only go forwards. And I think the resilience of knowing, well, I've got to go forward, I've got to move on, I've got mouths to feed. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, in our job, people aren't nice to you. Don't think that everybody's nice to you. You know, um, as I told you, when I married Alan, he was a refrigeration mechanic. He used to go to fix people's fridges. So he would go to a lady's house. And I still remember this particular lady in Durnford Avenue, La Lucia, which is supposed to be very posh. And she phoned and she said, your husband fixed my fridge yesterday and it's not working. Get him here before seven o'clock. So, oh my gosh, we had to drop the kids off early, drop me off at the shop. He went running to her house, knocked on the door. And the, um, she comes to the front door and she says, how dare you? How dare you come to the front door? You're a servant. Get around to the servants' quarters. <laughs> so he picked up his little toolbox and walked to the back door, knocked on the back door. And the maid said, the madam says, you can come in when it suits her, not when it suits you. And he sat there in the boiling heat, it was December, from 7 o'clock until half past 9. He sees her Mercedes driving off. So he knocks on the door again and says, the maid, what happened? She said, no, the madam says she doesn't want you in the house when she's here, but you can come in now. And as it turned out, the maid had actually been ironing and she pulled the plug out from the fridge to put the iron in. And when she pulled the iron out, she didn't put the fridge back. So the fridge was actually working and we'd gone through all that for nothing. But I was in the shop and I was selling. He was out doing the repairs and I was selling the new appliances and doing the paperwork. And the very same customer um, has four daughters and the eldest one was getting married. So the husband came in to buy her a dishwasher. So they went and they chose the dishwasher and everything and when he was finished and he was ready, he took out the money in cash and in those days it was 10 rand notes and he threw it across the floor and he pointed to me and he said, you get down on your hands and knees and you pick that up. Are you serious? Up. What you was that? pick that up. That was about uh, 87, 88. Yeah. And so I looked at little Jay Superodge, who still works with me today and I said, she looked at me and I looked at her and she said, you know what, Mrs. Hirsch, we've all got children to feed. You've got children to feed. I've got children to feed. Let's get on our hands and knees. We'll pick and it up. It. And we picked it up between us while he and his daughter scoffed and laughed at us. So don't think that it's been easy and it was just plain sailing. And we had to take a lot of kicks in the teeth um, before we could get it. So when going. you get that kind of attitude from, from people, I mean, you were quite yeah. a positive yeah. person yourself. You yeah. always find a way to look at yeah. a situation and yeah. turn it around and make yeah. it positive. What do you do in a situation like that? Because there's somebody, I mean, yeah. they're not, it's not a hard situation. They're deliberately being mean. Oh, yes. And breaking yeah. down 
your yeah. self-esteem because they think they're more important they're, than other people. They're trying to do that. But as I said to Jay, they can only do that if we allow them to. Let's not yes. allow them in there. Let's just say, okay, fine, we picked it up, we picked it up, we put it in the till. They, so you don't that. take it personally. And we don't take it personally. And you don't blame them and tomorrow you serve them again. Yes, and I'm still serving them to this day, that same family. They're still buying from me to this day, you know, which is like 20 years on. So, um, so I'm yeah. sure you have lots of stories like that. Yes, yeah, I could write a book. Are you secretly fantasizing about another life? I've been to Georgia and California and anywhere I could run. Took the hand of a preacher man and we made love in the sun. But I ran out of places and friendly faces because be free. I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. Naked with Adele is about your inner journey, trusting yourself and sharing many lessons. Come on, hold my hand. Not sure I understand this role I've been given. But I wish someone had to talk to me like I want to talk to you. It's choosing to remove the mask and reaching within to bear your soul. Now I see if I wear a mask, I can fool the world, but I cannot fool my heart. It's about women staying true to who they are. Naked with Adele is about getting real. It's about being able to look at yourself in the mirror and being able to love that person that you see. It's about having the courage to be vulnerable. So I let down my guard, drop my defenses down by my clothes. I'm learning to fall with no safety net to cushion the now start those deep, long, overdue conversations with yourself. I'm your mind giving you someone to talk to. Hello. And once you make up your mind, the journey begins. I've made up my mind. Don't need to think it over If I'm wrong, I am right Don't need to look no further I'm Adele Green And this empty chair next to me Is just for you Come and join me Register for your membership free To get this show and many resources At www.adele-green.com Or you can tweet her At Naked with Adele